Thank you everyone for joining us for the 90th episode of the CEO Journey podcast. We talk about all things business and entrepreneurship. Today, it is an absolute honor to be joined by the one and only Gregory Ebbs. Gregory is a UK-based <laughs> entrepreneur, fresh off The Apprentice. So I'm sure we'll delve into that later on in the episode. But for now, Gregory, how are you doing? I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me. This is um really exciting sort of thing to be taking part of. So thanks so much for, for inviting me. No, definitely. Well, we really appreciate you hopping on. Um, but I think it's right, Gregory, to start off by um, just diving into your backstory. So, um, you know, what was your upbringing like and uh, who was young Gregory Ebbs? Oh, I mean, there's certainly an unusual backstory. Um, so for those who don't know, um, my I, I've had quite a diverse background because I, I've, I've been very fortunate that my parents are from two different countries. So my mother's from Thailand and she was brought up in Southeast Asia. And my father was born in Liverpool, um, out of all the places. I don't have a Scouse accent, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, but um, so, yeah, I've been brought up with that sort of multicultural background because from a very young age, I've, I've been very fortunate to have been given the opportunity to travel, especially to Thailand because I have a Thai passport. Um, and so I used to live a lot with my family and it sort of opened my eyes to the world because it, it gives you a certain understanding that um, the world is a very exciting place, but not everybody's as fortunate as mm. one, one is. And therefore, one must always try to do do the best to sort of help others. Um, that sort of feeling is quite integrated with me. But um, it goes quite complicated. I don't know how much sort of depth you want it to be. How much depth um, do you want, Gregory, with it? Well, um, I, I, was, I was born in Chester, um, and I did my school, and uh, I did um, nursery in Chester. And then I was brought up in a beautiful place in Northwest West Wales where my family used to run a, um, a nice restaurant called Plaz Cafe called Harlech, but that was the town. And right. um, I was spent much of my youth in Harlech sort of walking up the mountains and exploring the, um, traveling and exploring the countryside. And my big passion is sort of history because you're just surrounded by it when you go to Wales. It's absolutely <laughs> incredible. Ruins and everything. And I, yeah. I do love like cave exploration. So that's something I would love to sort of pick up again from my younger years. And Again, um, core values and organizations really sort of ingrained themselves, ingrained themselves from a young age. So as part of scouts and part of air cadets, I did karate, I did wildlife whales. Right. Uh, and these sort of outdoor organizations or physical organizations sort of just, it was very, I was very fortunate because obviously a lot of people aren't given that sort of, um, a lot of people aren't really exposed to that sort of outside world, outside of the urban areas, especially if you're in a city. So being brought up with, with being able to do kayaking or see get, sort of waiting um, next to a badger's hole for, for a badger to come out something it's, it's quite nice really and obviously the Thai aspects I used to go to Thailand and there's loads of wildlife in Thailand um, and so yeah I spent much of my youth in northwest Wales until I did a lab so did a did GCSE finished my GCSEs and went to Shropshire and that's where I'm presently at right um, okay and then, yeah, I mean, that's from a very sort of young age. Um, and then in the meantime, I suppose, just sort of throw it out there. Um, it was weird because not only have I sort of been brought up in this sort of histo historic background, all the properties we've lived in have been quite old, but um, from a very young age, I started collecting. And that's where my history enthusiasm sort of okay. born. At the age of 10, I think I bought my first, my father bought me this wonderful flintlock musket Nepalese. I got a sword <laughs> and it's sort of grown for the last 16 years now. So yeah, soon to be uh, 17 years, soon to go at 27. And I guess is that what sparked the idea of Raven Antiques and having that initial interest in history and uh, 
yeah, that sort of realm. <laughs> I mean, precisely. Um, I mean, R- Raven Yard Antiques. So the, the, my, my family owned this shop um, in, our, in, in Whitchurch, and it's called Raven Yard Antiques. And the reason we call it that is because the property, Raven Yard, used to be a part of a larger property known as the Raven's Inn, which was first built in 1625. So it's got that sort of lineage which goes back because there's a yard, a cobbled yard, which is still there. And the property itself has got a 400-year-old name. And therefore, with the antique shop, therefore came the brand, which is Raven Yard Antiques. It's quite, because it's an antiques business. So it makes sense to have a historical name, which could sort of support that idea. And therefore, it's gone from just being a shop. We still have a shop. But the website, which is what I own, so there's two separate businesses there. There's a shop, which my family runs, and there's a website, which I run, um, is now a marketplace, but based on that name, sort of, encompassing the brand okay now that's really interesting and to just trace it back a little bit um did you have any sort of insights into entrepreneurship at a young age um way before in that earlier context that you were talking about i mean i've uh, yeah i mean my, my father my father's always been very entrepreneurial um i certainly know that for a fact he, he's run a multitude of businesses um he's got a <laughs> he started with this is a very funny one my father start um has got a cambridge degree in kitchen fitting right which is a one-day course <laughs> which he which he did to qualify to fit, fit kitchens and his background's like accountancy but then right. he's also run like building as uh, merchants and he's um he's run a multitude of hotels and restaurants and cafes and a variety and obviously having a background accountancy is not really relevant obviously other than the financial side so from a young age yeah my, my father's always sort of you always tried to he, he likes building stuff and likes sort of creating his own business i think it's probably been degrading from that so from a personal perspective um yeah i mean school i remember i used to sell lots of sweets <laughs> like on trouble once it's yeah, it's uh, to the students until the teachers started buying sweets off me so i'm sure <laughs> i'm not sure how, how far that rule went um and then with, with the antiques collecting um I've, I've been collecting for a long time and with with collecting is obviously the process of buying and selling so selling of antiques um helps me um cover uh, cover some of the funds of sort of university um, which is obviously quite expensive. So selling the odd items so kept me afloat for a bit. So there's that side of things as well, which I suppose it is certain extent entrepreneurship. Yeah. So where did you go to university then? Um, so um, I went to university in two two places. I have a master's degree and a bachelor's. Right. Um, so my bachelor's was Aberystwyth. Um, so obviously coming from Wales, I had to go back to Wales. So mm. Aberystwyth University, beautiful place. Um, went there many times, even before I went there. And my, my, um, my bachelor's degree was military history and international relations. So again, you can see the canon side of things yeah. in that respect. Um, and then after I finished university, um, I, or I got a job in Malta. And whilst I was working on the island, I discovered that a a master's degree on, on the island, this is especially prevalent for the viewers, at least when I went, was £500. So right. um, I paid £500 a one-year master's degree in strategic management public policy. I did want a, a, a scuba diving um, qualification, like maritime archaeology, but that's a lot more money, so I can afford that. But my master's degree in strategic management public policy was £500. So I was able to afford that from working on the side, and therefore right. I didn't incur any debt, whereas had I done a master's here in the country, 
it would have been £10,000 or something. So I was quite fortunate in that respect. I think it still applies, actually. So where did the, because um, I've, I've seen some things about you working with Cannons or, the, you know, running some operation in Malta. Can you just elaborate on that in terms of, you know, what you're actually doing um, there? So that's a sort of a really good question. Um, I mean, it's, well, when I finished my bachelor's degree, there was a period of time where I didn't have much going on. I was obviously, you finish university and it's quite difficult to sort of get your foot yeah. through the door in anything. Um, so I just started selling on the side uniforms. I had loads of them sort of sitting around my, my uh, university bedroom. Um, and I was trying to sort of make a, a basic living for myself or to just cut and cover some costs and et cetera. And one of my customers happened to be a man called Mario Ferrugia, um, sort of checked out his website and saw he's like the CEO of Fondazione Rosano, which is his museum in Malta. It's fantastic organization. Mm-hmm. And I, it turns out that I'd sold, I don't know, 1,200 quid's worth of uniforms to this man called Mario. Um, and I looked at his website and found out he had job vacancies. And I didn't have a job at the time. I was just selling uniforms. So I thought, you know what? This is quite a cool job. Title, professional cannon fire. So I applied <laughs> for the job. I got the job from selling Victorian uniforms to him. And and um, obviously, um, two weeks later, I figured, you know what? I'm just going to go to Malta. I've never been to this country. It seems right. a really exciting adventure. So I booked a one-way ticket to Malta, um, booked myself into uh, for a month into this very, very rough um, shared accommodation. I think my bed collapsed at one point because of the, <laughs> the wood rot of the bed. Um, and yeah, and then from there on, three years in Malta. Um, and obviously on the side, I, I did a bunch of things whilst I was there. So I, I obviously did the Canon Fire, I did the Master's degree, and I got some other qualifications and other stuff. But as to the terms of the job, um, it wasn't just cannon firing. So it's not like you sort of sit, you stand there and shoot cannons yeah, all day yeah, or something. Yeah. It's just one of many jobs. Um, so I think the, the, the proper sort of job role is, um, inter- interpretations of, no, well, it wasn't it, it was later, um, museum reenactor or something along those lines. And that basically involves cannon firing, rifle displays, Victorian drill. My background, my speciality is Victorian uniforms. So it's very sort of interesting from that respect. When I first went, we were still doing horse riding as well, um, lance displays, but we didn't do that when uh, in the later on. And also, so we had some really cool sites there at Fondazione. I mean, we had um, there were these tunnels, which I got to go into, and there's 28,000 square meters of underground tunnels just sat beneath mm. your feet from the Second World War. These tunnels go back to the Knights of St. John around the 1560s. But later on, they were repurposed from a sally port to that of an underground military base. Um, and this military base was where the defense of Malta was planned when, I don't know, um, 16,000 tons of bombs were dropped on the island in the space of only a, few, a couple of years and over 30,000 buildings destroyed. I'm not sure how accurate those figures are, but the point is this was a, such a cool, exciting adventure to go down these tunnels and get the keys and take people down this journey of the War HQ tunnel tour in Lascaris War Room. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, there was, there was a multitude of different roles. Obviously, the cannon is the most poignant and, um, and most memorable thing. So that's why I always keep mentioning it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So so you had those particular experiences in Malta, which clearly were, you know, very good for you. And then what made you want to go back to the UK and, uh, you know, start doing things there? I mean, so this sort of comes down to lockdown, doesn't it? I mean... Lockdown comes, hospitality industry, museum industry, everything's just shut down. Anything involving meeting up with people is just closed. I, I, I was a bit, um, I just finished my master's degree by that point, just about. 
Right. And lockdown comes, and I have to return to the UK because there's no job opportunities in Malta. I mean, right. the whole, I whole of the island is based on hospitality. Um, so, and I was planning on returning anyway. So I returned to Malta and I, I, I was, I was looking for stuff to do. And my father said, Hey, we've got this shop, Raven Yard Antiques, help us out with it. Um, and he just built this website for the shop and yeah. the website was absolutely appalling. <laughs> well, from that website, um, I figured actually, um, there's an opportunity here. He wanted just a personal website for a stock. Um, and, but then I thought, actually, eBay is really expensive. You can't sell antique military on eBay without certain restrictions. They right. take a 12.5% commission and it's a real hassle. So it takes ages to upload an object. I think it took me around five, so between five and 20 minutes, whereas my website's a bit quicker to put an object on. So these processes sort of came into mind. And I was thinking, actually, if I can teach myself to code, how about I build a website which can actually do a similar job to these platforms, but it's more of a club rather than just a marketplace. So my website, Raven Yard Antiques, doesn't just do sales, um, in the sense of it doesn't just allow you to market your objects, but does a bunch of other features, um, which I'm sure I'll like, explain a bit shortly. But so, yeah, it sort of came from there, really. Um, and then over the last two years, I've sort of been very invested in this business idea. Mm-hmm. Strongly believe there's a market opportunity here. Um, and so for two years, I taught myself to code in a bunch of different wow. programs. So... I don't have a technical background, but I felt that uh, with enough time in your hands and especially with a lockdown, it's definitely doable. So um, I built a website coded wise. I haven't used WordPress or anything um, because I built yeah. on my sort of vision for this product. And as it grows, the website changes organically. But there's been two years of hard labor and work. <laughs> no, no, definitely. And so what, what, lo- what languages did you use to actually code the website? I'm guessing it was oh. HTML, um Anything else? Or? So obviously hypertext markup language is is, is, a, is, a, is a key aspect. But I mean, the actual object-oriented programming is in the form of PHP. Um, oh, okay. And I use a bit of Ajax on the side. So PHP only gets initialized if you have to click the submit button, mm. uh, unless you've got Ajax, which gets it to run concurrent as, as the user's using it. So I'd used a bit of Ajax, PHP, um, and a bit of JavaScript and jQuery. Um, both sort of formats and yeah, just sort of, just sort of working from there to be honest. Right. And then, yeah, I mean, the website's now running 2000 objects or something and the website oh. crashed the other day, 10,000 people visited it in 30 Gosh. seconds. <laughs> Gosh, that's, that's incredible. So, um, like how long did, how long was the process in like teaching you self out to code to actually coding? Cause I've, I've had a look at the website and you know, it's amazing. It's amazing. Like, Thank it's, you. It's incredibly I well mean, optimized and designed really well. So, yeah, how long was that process? It's, it's, it's always ongoing. I mean, literally just before I was doing this podcast, I was doing slight tweaks and changes. I mean, there are some things where, so when you first build a website, you host it on a local server and then you put it live. So you save it and you, you run it on your computer and then you run it on online. And like, I was just doing some changes and, and I thought these edits fixed the website locally. You upload it, bunch of different bugs altogether. Right. So, I mean, the point is that it's always working. I mean, to, to get to the stage I am, it's, it's gone from day one of a lockdown to now to sort of get to the stage. And I don't know if that's particularly slow or fast. I don't know. But um, it's been it's been a real, it's been very challenging, um, definitely, to sort of get to that. I think this is like the fourth iteration of website. So first I did WordPress, and then I studied a bit of Wix. But obviously Wix is just a website builder, so you don't really get any code. Um, same WordPress, I suppose. And then you teach yourself object oriented programming. And right. then 
you you upload an image and it takes like two hours to upload the image. So you're trying to find a faster way to do it. And now I'm using a framework which which speeds up development time, which is called Laravel, which is a PHP framework. So yeah. it's every day is a learning curve and it's taken me two years to get up to stage. But um, yeah, it doesn't stop. It, it will it will take for however long I have a business, I expect it to gradually develop and change for the duration my business is sort of running. And you, you've mentioned that the reason why you decided to teach yourself programming instead of using, you know, like Wix or any like sites like WooCommerce. I mean, there's even Shopify as well, um, was because you wanted it. You wanted to create it in your own vision and how you see it. Is that the main yeah. reason? I mean, to some extent. I mean, the thing with sort of more so with Wix and oh. Shopify is you don't really you you you're, you're using somebody else's code, so using yeah. somebody else's intellectual property. And my, yeah, my yeah. website does more than just the basic selling. So I've developed. So one of the things my business, which I noticed with, um, one, one thing which my business does, which a lot of other businesses don't do, and I could have only done this from coding it myself, is we have a sales and stock reporting system. So when you upload um, an object, okay. you can actually put the cost price of your object into the object. So by the end of the year, you can print off an A4 spreadsheet with a cost profit loss of everything you've got. So I've got 2,000 items in inventory, and I can look at this, and I can print off a report, and it'll say how much I've made, how much I've lost, the data purchased, and if I've got buyer invoice codes and other stuff, I can put yeah. that in. So it's all saved. So instead of managing it all on an Excel sheet, it's all yeah. managed automatically on this online system. No, that's, that's smart. I didn't think about that at all. And um, yeah. And the website is sort of is growing. I mean, one thing which, in my opinion, sets my website aside and what will drive it forward and make it really successful um, is, is the idea of linking multiple websites together. So one thing which I've just built for a client, um, and I'll make it live very shortly for him, is he's, I've just built this website. He's, he's got this website. I think his domain name is habitantiques.com. Okay, I'll have a look. And what, it, what I've done is every object he puts in his personal website will now automatically go on Raven Yard and Teaks. And right. every object he deletes from Raven Yard and Teaks will be deleted from his personal website. And that means, imagine if you've got 1,000 websites which you built for a client, that's 1,000 people who are going to be consistently using the website because how can they not use their personal website if they've paid for it? Mm. So mm. Raven Yard and Teaks is about creating a network, it's, it's creating this marketplace, but club, more importantly, where yeah. people are all connected to one another. And if they're all managed from a single platform, it saves people a lot of time. So instead of having to put stuff separately in your account on eBay and separate account on your Etsy page and separate accounts on, I don't know, um, Gumtree and then your website, what about you put it on Raven Yard and Teaks mm. and it goes on your personal website automatically? It just saves so much time and effort. Win-win. So, win. so it's a win-win. So and I'm developing some new stuff which will, let's say, crawl information from other people's websites and make it appear. Awesome. So at the moment, all I can do is have to code the website from scratch and then integrate. But in the future, I want to use the pre-existing websites and draw all the information and get it on the database. No, um, that makes complete sense, yeah. But I mean, it's just about that. It's, it's about saving, I mean, from coming from an antiques point of view, but not and not coming from a technical background, having just taught myself in my spare time. It's, it's given you sort of an idea of what people want. So instead of saying, hey, to other people, um, we've got all these other users who are checking it out. How about use the website? I can go up to people and say, hey, I've got 2,000 of my own personal objects on it, and I'm regularly using this website. Plus, I've got it. Plus, we've got 250 people mm. using it. Plus, we've got, I don't know, a lot of stock, and we have 10,000 people. But I'm going, I'm approaching people from a, a, um, 
a bit a a um a retailer's perspective i can say hey we've got all this stuff on the shop which is going on the website yeah i can i always have to test it and whereas a lot of developers who, who build these sites they don't test their own product because they're just instructed how to build it by somebody who does test it but i'm both so i i, I can clean it up and i can communicate my thoughts better with the client and i also understand the market more because i come from that particular background no that's that's incredible so you've obviously got like the seller side and then you've got the consumers who are coming on the website to buy the antiques um how do you go about attracting um a users to the site and sellers to actually list their antiques on your marketplace well it's it's organic isn't it um the way i see it it's very it's very it's very organic um Every website you build for a client, mm-hmm. that client is going to use the website. They're going to put their stuff on the website because right, okay. they want to promote their objects. But on the other hand, if every object they put to their personal website goes from Raven Yard Antiques, then automatically uh, that's more stock which is going to be appearing on the marketplace. And with the more stock which appears in the marketplace and the more people who are linked to the website, that's more guaranteed users to the website every month. So it's organic there. Yeah. And people will always promote their own personal business because you're obviously trying to make a living. Um, so there's there's that side of things. And obviously with the stock, with the quantity of stock as it grows, imagine you've got 2,000 objects in inventory all put on Raving Um, Well, as that inventory grows, so does your page visibility in Google because that's mm-hmm. 2,000 more pages which are going to be popping up on the search engine ranking. So if you type yeah. down nine carat gold ring, I don't think... Um, my, I know my website does a nine carat gold rings do appear from a website, but it doesn't appear in the top search engine ranking. But either way, imagine if you've got 2000 of those objects, then there's 2000 chance, 2000 more pages, which are more likely to appear in my, to Google search engine ranking. And when an item is marked as sold, I programmed it. So the item is not deleted, but it's simply marked as sold on the system, but it still appears in the Google search engine. So yeah. it's that visibility plus escape plus connecting people together. Um, which will gradually sort of grow the business. And so The Apprentice has been really good from that angle because it's given me that sort of legitimacy to sort of scale up the business. We've already got a bunch of people are selling objects on it. We've got people who who have sold objects on it. And we've also got clients who have signed up for their websites to be built. Um, So it's it's organically growing. And within the antiques industry, there's a yeah. big opportunity, and I think I'm the perfect one to capitalize it because I'm not going in uh, with a team of people. But instead, I build it myself, so I can. I'm, I'm cheap. I only at the moment the website's free to use. Right. I get my revenue because I build people websites. But okay. In the future, it'd be one pound per listing per object, which is not a lot because yeah. eBay charges 12.5 percent commission. Um, but on the other hand, for me, it's profitable because I incur no cost. I don't pay staff. I don't pay anybody else to do it. So as the website grows, obviously that might change in the future, but as it grows, uh-huh. um, at least I'm able to keep my costs down, which is so important, in my opinion, for a startup business. Yeah, no, 100%. And so I guess before we get on to The Apprentice, what is your overall vision for Raven Yard's Antique? And um, you know, has growth since launching that marketplace, has it has growth been exponential? What's, what's that been like? <laughs> so, um, since, so since the... It's been tricky because it's been two years of work and it's refining. Right. And there are always glitches with things. Like yeah, that. I can just, imagine. You know, can imagine. Sometimes you sort of edit a bit, bit a, a prize on the database and it edits to something which you don't want it to do. Or perhaps someone puts a squiggly line in an arrow key and it messes up the code. Um, 
Um, I mean, th there's there's always subtleties which are always a bit challenging. But since the at first it was slow. It's been two years to get to the stage. It's been very difficult for the last two years because we haven't had visibility, and therefore the number of users has been difficult. But because of the Apprentice, um, and fortunately because of the association with being the historical canon guy, people have been yeah. coming up to me. So uh, last week we had ten thousand people visit the website in thirty seconds. So the website crashed. Um, wow. but, but last month, i.e., January as a whole, we had twenty thousand people have visited the website. And we're, personally, I can say that I'm selling items every day now um, just because people are visiting it. And I know other people are selling it. Um, and obviously, they'll sort of calm down with The Apprentice. But with the clients to sign up to the website, it will gradually sort of grow back up um, over time. My, my vision, on the other hand, for the business is, is, quite, is, quite, a, is quite a large one. Um, my website's not an eBay in the conventional sense. eBay right. charges high commission cost. They limit yeah. the objects that you want to sell on the website, and they only allow you to put stuff on the website if you do a bulk upload for a, C for a CSV file, or they you use to add new products. With my website, it's more than that. It's a club, because people can actually call me up and say, hey, Greg, we've got this issue. Can you fix it? Hey, right. Greg, I've got these suggestions. What do you think? We can implement that. We can work together on this sort of thing, because it works. It benefits both the user and myself to have the most amazing product. Mm. Um, so my goal is sort of get people working and networking together. So I'd love to get forums and chat, uh, methods of communication for particular, particular users. Um, one really good tool, which I, which I found to be exceptionally useful is the software photo room. Photo room is, okay. uh, is this wonderful app where you can take a photo with your phone and it removes the background image, the background colors of this object. So you only see like a white background with this object. Right. Be, what I don't get is why no one's actually incorporated that with a marketplace platform. So instead of having to yeah. download your app and then take the photos, save the images on your app, uh, so on your phone, and then upload the images, why can't you incorporate the software? Um, so Very lots true. of subtleties. And this man, massive network. Imagine if every, there's, so there's 74 million people in this country. There's thousands, tens of thousands, mm. millions of people who have antiques in their homes. Why, instead of everyone having a, pro, a separate website, where none of them communicate with one another. Why not have a bunch of websites all feeding into one marketplace platform so everybody benefits because you've got yeah. everyone gets that visibility. Yeah. And it's that, it's that community feel at the end of the day, isn't it? Precisely. It's, it's that community feel. It's instead of sort of going through Amazon and Etsy and all these where you have to use this anonymous chat service. I mean, yeah. one thing my website does is it doesn't have a payment system. And so what we do instead, I mean, that may change in the future, but what we do instead is we encourage people by um, we, we pass over the email of the seller to the buyer and the buyer to the seller. So the two can communicate directly outside yeah. of the website. So we don't try to manage their conversations. And that, again, that's a community feel. The buyer is is a, feels a bit more comfort because they're actually talking to the other person on the other end of the phone or the other end of the email. And the seller is more confident because they can actually communicate directly with the buyer. And, mm. it, and I don't need to manage the money because eBay was so successful when it first came out because they managed money. But now there's mm. PayPal and there's, there's Stripe and there's mm. so many which actually you can pay for goods and services. You pay 2% commission instead of 12.5% commission and they hold your goods if it gets damaged or anything. But it gives yeah. at the end of the day, you don't need to fork out 12.5% commission on objects which are a hassle to put on a website, which are expensive to sell, et cetera. 
No, definitely, definitely. So uh, yeah, no, it's been really interesting to talk about you, talk to you about um, Raven Antiques. It's great to see your vision for the future. I can definitely see it becoming successful. I know my mum; she's a big collector of antiques, so uh, <laughs> and she likes to um, she, she likes to sell them as well. So maybe I'll be telling her about Raven Antiques so she can list some of the stuff on your website. Um, but yeah, no, it'd be great to talk about the Apprentice now. If that's okay with you, Gregory. Absolutely, um, go for it. So I guess the first thing I want to understand is what motivated you to actually go onto the show? I mean, that's, that's a good question. Um, I've been a big fan of the show for a long, long time. Um, I remember. I'm not sure if I watched the first season, but it certainly goes back to a similar period. Um, and I've always watched it. And it just looks it, it, it looks so sort of exciting when you, when you see it on the cameras, all the yeah. camera shots and everything, and the task. You think, well, anybody could do this. Um, so honestly, like my, my, my family have been a big part of my life and they sort of encouraged me up at that point. And so it, it led to my sort of without, without suggestion by the family. And then obviously seeing the show, I, I put the application in. just an interesting sort of anecdote for the users. Um, I didn't submit my application until 10 seconds before the deadline <laughs> because I actually get cut. So I intended to submit it the week before, but I got right. carted to E&E with kidney stones. Oh. So I didn't get, I didn't get dislo- um, I didn't get discharged from the hospital until the day that the applications were closing. I didn't get home and, um, and I wasn't able to submit my application until 10 seconds before the deadline so it was a really that there was yes. like 50 50 chance i would even uh, been able to put the application in in time um but i mean yeah that's that's pretty much what sort of led me to applying and let's say it's, it's quite an interesting process so did you have like a mentality before going into it knowing what you wanted to achieve or was it just you had an initial interest in the show so you thought let's give it a go Nothing i mean it. I think it's, it's 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 important to sort of be mindful that a lot of people apply for the show. Like I I don't know I, I read it online so and I read online I could entirely be correct but incorrect that there's sixty thousand people applied. So like the chances you're getting on that show are pretty are, are challenging. Yeah. But what what you what you soon discover is that anything's doable in life, and I think the show's sort of ingrained that sort of mentality. If someone like me can actually get on the show, then anyone can. Mm. Um. And yeah, I mean, I, I went and I didn't know what to expect. I wasn't even sure I'd get on it. I mean, I, I can't tell you much about the application process itself, but I would mm. say it, it was quite demanding and it was certainly yeah. quite unexpected. Um, so to sort of receive that call saying, congratulations, you're, you're now on is, was quite a, a re- quite an honor and sort of real exciting adventure. But I, I, I went in with. Uh, an open mind because honestly you, you have no idea what to expect you, you, there's no, no way you exactly. can plan or prepare for the application process and there's no way you can actually prepare for when you're on the show itself there's a lot of things which are i mean i don't know i've never i've never had i've never dealt with big camera work before so i had no idea what to expect that no 100 percent. and like you said you know the chance of you actually getting onto the show is very slim. So in your eyes, I don't know if you've been told by other people, but what would you say made you stand out from all those other applicants? I mean, I suppose my advice for anyone sort of going on the show is do try to be sort of honest to yourself. Don't try, try to sort of overblow yourself in any particular manner because it might not work in your favour. I mean, at least from my personal perspective, I went on, obviously talk about cannons, but I try to make it close to home i mean i said hey um i, I find candidates for a living and i've got this great sort of business idea and i think 
that, that sort of honest integrity or authenticity, sorry, is probably, I, I don't know, it could be, it could have been a sort of factor into why, why this sort of allowed me to proceed into the later stages of the process. Um, but I mean, I've always had quite a quirky and different background. Yeah. Um, mm. And I just try to capitalize on what I, I, I'd already experienced in and whilst at the same time trying to be honest with myself and who I am. And I thought cannons, I mean, it wasn't the only part of my job, granted, but it was sort of the most, mm. the catchiest race. I did sort of, I think that probably helped a bit. I certainly raised a few eyebrows. No, definitely. And because um, on the show, I mean, like you're exposed to the whole world of backlash, you know, people talking about it, cameras every single day. It's far different from, you know, your life before, isn't it? So did you feel like a state of vulnerability being on there or were you thinking, look, look how people are going to perceive me? Or were you just like, I don't really care. I'm going to be myself. I mean, from my side, I think you've got to be a bit conscientious. So like um, when I sort of put the app, when, when, I, when we actually filming took place, you have to be mindful. Right? There's a big camera in front of your face. Don't pick your nose or something. <laughs> yeah. or don't pick your nose in the wrong way. I mean, uh, you've, you've got to be mindful of that, but I mean, that's not, that's not just with camera work. That's just in general, you are yes, in a working yeah. environment. You are trying to secure people's Indeed. investments. So you've got to be professional and, and respectful at all times. So obviously there's a mindful that anything that you say will be televised to people or could be televised to people. But on the other hand, I don't see why you should behave differently on camera as you would in a business mm. meeting. You should be equally as professional and respectful to your candidates. And at least in my opinion, that's how I try to sort of, I tried to sort of stay with that sort of narrative. I said, hey, I don't want to say anything which I might, um, might regret, not necessarily just because of TV, but just because I believe that you, if you, you're working with these people and there's life after the show, so mm -hmm. you want to stay in contact with these people and therefore there's, there's more than just the investment. There's, there's maintaining connections and networking and and leaving people mm. with a positive impression of yourself. Sort of your reputation, in my opinion, is equally as important as the investment because that's how people sort of perceive you and they respect you, or they don't respect you, depends how it goes. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that was sort of my narrative at the time. Just try to try to be authentic, but don't try to say anything which you might not say in a professional environment. No, definitely. And so you've touched on it um, with like the benefits of actually going on the, so on the show. But if you had to sort of pick out the top three benefits that you've accrued from being on the show um, now coming out, what would those three things be? I mean, it's certainly ingrained that men the, the first thing is to get on the show is a massive accomplishment. Yeah. Like everybody got gets on the show, whether you go in week one or do we be at the end, it makes no difference. You're on the show. There's a lot of people fly. So to get that far is like a massive pat on the back. Uh, congratulations to each and every person. So that's the first benefit. Ingrains that mentality, which is anything's doable, anything's possible. It, you just need to set your goal. And then obviously, hopefully you should reach it. You'll never reach the stars mm -hmm. if you don't set your mind to the stars. So go, go with an open mind and just see how it goes, but always sort of set yourself a goal. Um, so that mentality is number one. Um, Number two, I mean, it's, it's difficult to say. I suppose the networking you get, yeah. it's, it's, it's incredible. The, these people that go on the show, I mean, obviously my interaction is different to how many people see them on camera because I, I live with these people. Um, yeah. It is challenging living with a bunch of people you've never lived with, never met before, but it's equally as rewarding. And I think there's certain camaraderie which is sort of built in that house, which was which is quite nice. Um, so 
especially with a lot of the, the contestants, I intend to sort of stay in contact with them and friendships and connections. These people could be super successful people in the future. Um, and I feel very lucky to have worked with them. And I, I, I consider myself fortunate to develop these sort of good connections with my fellow candidates as a consequence, but not just them. Like on, when you're dealing with businesses on the tasks and stuff, same applies as well. Yeah, no, definitely. And obviously, you know, when you got fired, there was a lot of con- controversy surrounding a lot of people saying, you know, it was unfair um, because it seemed like you were, you know, that that task wasn't your strong point. OK, and then they sort of focused on that and decided to fire you because it wasn't your strong point. And that, that's from my perspective. And to me, that seems a little bit unfair. So, you know, from your perspective, how do you view, you know, you getting fired from them? What do you reckon it was unfair? You know, what, what what's your standpoint? I mean, maybe at the time I probably should have sort of looking back into that board and perhaps I should have made my 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 point clear. I mean, sort of watching the boardroom take place in previous tasks as an awesome TV, I was sort of very mindful, but I didn't want to say anything which um I I I want I wanted to be respectful and I didn't want to say anything which might I, w- I wanted to keep it straight to the facts. I didn't want to make accusations or anything. So perhaps at times I should have been, uh, I was a bit more quiet and therefore didn't put my case strong enough, especially in that mm. boardroom. Um, so maybe, maybe that was a factor, but sort of, I mean, it, it's challenging. I mean, I worked with Reese and I mean, Reese is a very, very smart bloke. Uh, very, very smart. Mm. Um, and I've got a lot of respect for him. And so like, perhaps they just felt that, at the end of the day, Lord Sugar's looking for a business partner, and perhaps he just felt yeah. that Reese was more suited to that mm. particular angle than myself. I mean, one can make the case, which is I'm sort of specialising antiques, and therefore, like, therefore, my business. In, he he specialised in acting, but he lost his task in a one mind. But they, they sort of look at it sort of a wider narrative as well. And I suppose, I mean, I, I don't obviously necessarily agree with Lord Sugar's uh, decision, but at the same time, I, I I see where he's coming from, and I completely respect that. And it's it's a challenging sort of situation um but no i mean i've got no ill will against anyone or anything like that it was it was, it was a cool adventure it's a pity that went so early on i would have liked to demonstrate more skills but at the same time it's, it's been a great opportunity as well and i mean good good for reese i mean i look forward to he's surviving up to now I, I look forward to seeing how he goes in later episodes is he are you rooting for him to uh win or Oh, I I can't comment there. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, I guess another point I wanted to understand is the overall, you know, reality of the show. If you can talk a bit about that, is it everything that we see completely real? Is anything staged? You know, what what's the case of that? I mean, well, I mean, I can't. It's not staged. The show is not staged. Um, It's fair. I mean, they they make that very very clear when you sort of go on. It is fair. Um, it's challenge. There's a lot of it's. There's a lot of time constraints on the tasks, um, and obviously, like you're doing stuff which you've never done before as well. I mean, okay, the cannons was useful because I've done it, but the cartoons, like the, the boys' team, we had we had no idea. No, you know, at least so my, my team wasn't boys. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was mixed. Yeah. What was it? So Reese's team. Actually, I'm, that's incorrect. Let me go back to the Balbans. Actually, the Balbans boys' team, but. None of us had made bow buns before. No, none of us knew how to do it. None of us came from a, a culinary background. Yeah. So there, there were time constraints rest- um, 
followed with like the lack of experience of that particular field, which sort of sometimes leads to some <laughs> questionable um, outcomes with the product. Um, but it's it's not it's not fixed in any respect. It's just no. it's it's challenging because you, you've never worked with these people, you've never spoken to them in your lives. I mean, by that time, boys, week two, so we barely knew each other's names by that point. Mm. And now we've got to go go to London, and we got to, we've been mixed out with sub teams now, so we've never worked this lot. Um, and then we're told, hey, you've got to wake up at X o'clock in the morning, make bow buns and sell them into London Square. I mean, um, sometimes it leads to comedic and sometimes slightly unfortunate products that are coming out of that, that process. No, okay, yeah, no, definitely. And thank you for sharing that. Um, but like, we've, we've had a, uh, don't know if you know Lee McQueen. Um, okay. Um, he obviously won The Apprentice in one of the earlier seasons. And, uh, you know, I asked him about his life after The Apprentice and he shared, you know, it was completely different. He had, you know, media at his door. And I'm sure it's a bit different now, but what has it been like coming out of The Apprentice? What has the intention been like? Have you been, you know, swamped with people? Have people been coming up to you in the streets? Or, you know, what what is it like? I mean, I've I've sort of done my best to so make sure that my life hasn't changed because of the show. I mean, it's very easy to sort of get to sort of get into that mentality that you're you're famous, etc. But it's it's important to be quite grounded when this process comes out. And lots of people do know you, but it's 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 it's, it's a show at the end of it. It's a process, an application process at the end of the day. So it's um, you mustn't let it get to your head. Um, but I mean. <sighs> It's been considerable. I've received thousands and thousands of messages from people on Instagram mm. and social media in general. And I, I went to, um, where, where was it? Da, 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 uh, Buckingham the other day. Right. And people just collared me in the street, like the tourist information officers. And said, I recognize you from the show. She has to refer to the museum <laughs> and stuff. So it's been quite nice in that respect. And I had a, had a handful of businesses sort of approach me. But I mean, it's, it's nice, but, um, my life hasn't changed in that respect. It's been more well known, but I'm, I'm in a public role anyway. Yeah. Because I'm a counselor. So I was, I was quite well known yeah. in my local area anyway. So I'm, I'm quite used to this sort of exposure um, and dealing with the press in that respect. Um, but it's been quite a sort of adventure. I mean, it's certainly opened more doors. That's, that's what the show's really given me. It's given me about legitimacy. People are now recognize me because of the show. And they're willing to sort of have that conversation with you, which would be more difficult without the show, because mm. obviously you're just a, a an unknown person who's walked through the door. Now you've got that legitimacy of having appeared on the UK's largest TV um, series and trying to compete for Lord Joker's investment. So in that respect, business-wise, it's been absolutely great. Fantastic. Um, from a personal perspective, more people recognize you. But at the same time, it's, re it's really, really nice that people recognize you, but it, I, I don't see why it should sort of stop you from going out or stop you going for meals with the family or anything because at the end of the day it's it's, re it's really important so to stay grounded in that respect no definitely and um a question just came into my head um it might seem a bit stupid but do you get to see lord sugar off camera do you speak to him off camera you know or what no what, what? it's 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 all it's all on what you see there is is pretty much what you get. Like right, okay. Um, when you sort of see it, his his shadow slowly come out of the boardroom. I mean, that's literally it. That's the first time <laughs> we've seen him. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 quite intense. I suppose it's more intense in person because you're sat there on the chair, um, and you've got you, you you've got the 
the, the judges in front of you, the, the experts in front of you, and then you've got Lord Sugar coming out. And you're, you, you see this massive, this massive um, billionaire tycoon come out on camera. You've never seen it, but you know him because you've seen yeah. him on TV. It's quite a surreal experience in that respect. Um, but actually just being there after having undergone a lengthy process is very, is very nerve-wracking. But we didn't speak to him outside the camera. Literally what you, you saw is, is our experience. Right, well, that's interesting. Um, and you talked about, you know, the doors opening up after you've come out of the show. You know, what opportunities have accrued for you? I mean, so a few. Obviously, the business is growing. Um, I've now created a social media page which is called Gecko. I've got some really good friends, Show and Joe, who are massive mm-hmm. um, social media buffs. They've really helped me with the quality of my um, my production. And so Gecko stands at Gregory Ab Cinematic Universe or on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, etc. So we've right. got lots of visibility there. And our goal is to visit like museums, historical sites. And we're sort of just experimenting with the way that we're doing the content. But the goal is to sort of visit these places and do really informative and sort of interactive videos, sort of promoting history or promoting particular organizations, etc. So that's something that we're sort of trying to capitalize on. We've got a few sort of lined up in the vault. There's something which we want to do more in the future. Would be great. Um if we could get some, I don't know, stuff in talking about the the Mayan pyramids um, in South America or something. I mean, about just imagine if we got invited there, that'd be such a cool adventure. So stuff like that. I'd very be, and then followed on by that, I, I would be very interested. It hasn't happened yet. We'll just have to see what happens. But I would love to get involved in TV work, TV work especially mm. like historical TV shows. And stuff. I can see that in your personality, to be honest, Gregory. I think you'd be a great <laughs> TV you. presenter or anything. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that'd be really cool. I mean, sort of just thinking back to the old days of time team. I mean, that, that was sort of, that was always quite exciting. Watching them sort of dig up this Roman forts, ruins and finding, what, what did you find here as a Roman coin from the first century? Or, something? I mean, <laughs> or, or perhaps Antiques Road Trip or that, that, that that's yeah. pretty much the angle, which I'd love to get involved in because I think it'd be an incredible experience and it allows me to sort of showcase my passions in that respect. But then yeah. there's the other aspect, which is I am a counselor. And I stood for for town level, and I think I'll start re- I'll restand for um, county level, um, and perhaps just see how how um, how politics mean. goes in sort of a long run from there. No, definitely. And if you, if you say, you know, what's a one key thing that you've learned from coming off the show that you're now implementing in your day to day running of your business and just overall life? Um, I think it goes back to what I previously said, which is. Um, I suppose two aspects. Um, it's, it's a difficult one to sort of answer, but I, I, I'd probably say some of the lines of always set yourself a target. Mm-hmm. Um, never take no for an answer. Anything's doable. And mm-hmm. the show has definitely sort of shown me that. Anything is doable. My business is growing. I've mm-hmm. got onto this TV show. My business crashed because 10,000 people visited it in 30 seconds, something I wouldn't have ever believed. And from there opportunities i mean life is one's oyster i suppose is the best sort of um, way of describing which is sort of don't set yourself limitations on what you can achieve but obviously be try to be set yourself realistic deadlines on, on how to achieve those goals but you anything's possible if you put your mind to it and the show's sort of shown that i mean if we if i can go from promoting cannons and antigua to making bow buns to do to doing cartoons which is a bit unfortunate there given the firing then obviously the, the world is one's oyster it's yeah. anything's possible it, it might take a bit more time for some than others but it's definitely doable 
No, that's a great bit of insight. And I think that's a uh, lovely place to wrap up this podcast on. Gregory, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, it's been great talking to you about everything. Thank you so much. <laughs> have you got any last words for the viewers? Anything you'd like me to um, you know, put in the description or shout out? So a couple of shouts out. Um, shout outs. So big shout out to Benji from the um, Harlick Scout Hub. Massive, um, shout out massive part in, in my sort of childhood. He does so much work at sort of promoting not only the youth events and organizations, but he, he supports the town and he also does a lot of work with with animal with animals, more specifically birds of prey, um right. peregrine vulcans and stuff. So nurses then back to health. So he does so big shout out to him and the air cadets. And big shout out to my team, um, Joe and Show, who have done and my family, who have been a massive inspiration throughout this whole yeah. process and have been really supportive of that. And I say if any of you want to sort of follow me, check out my Instagram, uh, yeah. Facebook, um, yeah. Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Um, Gecko, it's the Gregory of Cinematic Universe, and check out my website. And any questions, just drop me an email or give me a phone call. Definitely, we'll be putting all of that in the description for viewers um, to uh, read and look through. But yeah, thank you once again, Gregory. I wish you all the best of luck with anything in the future, anything you've got in the pipeline. And also, obviously, with Raven Antiques, and hopefully thank that you. goes as successful as you would like it to be. So, yeah, no, absolute pleasure. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, be sure to give it a like, subscribe, and also feel free to join our Discord community, which we've just opened for any entrepreneur at any stage of their journey. We'd, all, we'd love to meet you there. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much.